So gospel according to John chapter 14, starting in verse 25, please give your attention as God's word is read in your hearing. Jesus continues, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you, peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, as we read that, You may notice there's a theme there, at least in verse 27, and that theme is peace. Jesus says to his disciples, peace I I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And prayed about it in the congregational prayer. Uh, This notion of peace is one that human beings have been trying to grasp and accomplish for as long as human beings have been on this earth. Uh, Ever since the fall, uh, the first recorded sin in human history is a murder. Uh, It is one in which a jealous son slays his brother. And there, that in a sense, in a nutshell, really is the tale of human history ever since the fall. We have been killing one another. We have been slaying one another. We have been at war with one another. So we desire peace. Right? What was the, the famous statement that uh, Neville Chamberlain said when Hitler had signed a, a peace treaty with, with the Allies right before uh, World War II broke out? He said, we have peace in our time. And little did he know that in a few short years we would be embroiled in another world war. We have always sought peace and it has always been elusive. And the reason it's always been elusive is because we don't know peace. We don't know true and lasting peace. And that true and lasting peace only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at this this passage this morning, again, the context, upper room discourse, the night before Jesus is betrayed, uh, he is speaking to his disciples. They are disturbed. They are distressed. They are discouraged because Jesus has announced that he is going. Yet he is trying to encourage them. He is not only trying to make them ready for his departure, but he's also trying to impart some encouraging words to them. And here we see some of the most encouraging words that Jesus speaks in this discourse where he promises to give them peace. So the theme this morning, very simple. Jesus Christ gives us peace in the midst of trouble. First, we're going to see the promise here of the Holy Spirit in verses 25 and 26. 
This is the second time, of course, that our Lord has promised the Holy Spirit. He earlier promises the Spirit in verses 16 and 17, which we saw, uh, well, not two weeks ago, probably three or four weeks ago because of the vacation. But there, he says, um, I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So that's the first time he promises the Holy Spirit. Here is the second time he promises the Holy Spirit in verse 26. But the Helper, again, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Those words there that you see in verse 25, Jesus is just reminding him, it's like, look, I am speaking these things to you while I'm still present. Because why? Because in a, in, a, in a few short days, I'm not going to be with you anymore. I'm going to be leaving this world. I'm going to be hung on a Roman cross, and then, and then I will be gone, and I will return for a short period of time, but then I will be going back to my Father. So I am speaking these things to you now while I'm with you. So encouragement, preparing his disciples. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's, what, what is coming before them. And he's trying to encourage the disciples that he will not leave them as orphans. You remember we saw that in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you destitute. I will not leave you without any hope in this world. Though I will not be here physically, my spirit will be with you. And the Holy Spirit here brings peace by reminding us of Jesus' words and comforting us in times of trouble. That is uh, some of many of the ministries that the Spirit provides for, his peop- for, for the people of God is, is that He reminds us of Jesus' words and He comforts us in times of trouble. This is what Jesus here says in verse 26, that the Holy Spirit will remind them of his presence. He is another helper. He is sent in my name. I am a helper. See, the, the, the whole implication of saying the Spirit is another helper is to say that Jesus Christ is the primary helper. He is the, 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 the pinnacle of helpers, and now the Spirit will come and also be another helper to them. It'll, he will be ministering Christ to the disciples and to us as well by extension. So he is a reminder of the presence of Christ in us. But here we see a couple of functions that the Holy Spirit will perform. First, he will teach them all things. And then second, he will bring to remembrance all things that he has said to them. Now we need to be, we need to be careful here because this is a promise primarily to the disciples there that Jesus is speaking to, the eleven. He is saying to them that the Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything that I have said, and He will teach you all things. This is very important because what is happening here is that He is, in a sense, uh, uh, He is commissioning the disciples to continue His work, which you will see in the book of Acts. That's exactly what the disciples do. The eleven form that foundation, and they go forth, and they, in the power of the Spirit who is dwelling in them, the other helper, they go forth, and they continue the work of Christ, laying that foundation, if you will, of the church in the book of Acts. So He ministers to them. He 
brings to their remembrance everything that he has said to them, and he will teach them all things. But even though that's a promise to the disciples specifically, it is also something we can apply to ourselves as well, because the Holy Spirit then ministers the word of Christ to us. The work of the apostles that is recorded in the scriptures is then by the Spirit ministered to us as well. So the Holy Spirit ministers the word of Christ to us through the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit here who comes in his name, notice that in verse 26, the Father sends the Spirit in the name of Christ. So the Spirit is ministering in accordance with the message and the purpose and the character of Jesus himself. He is in a sense then Jesus' emissary. He is sent to bring to remembrance and to recall everything that Jesus has said. He is sent to minister Christ. He is sent as his emissary. Just as the Father, or I should say, just as Jesus was the Father's emissary. Jesus says throughout this gospel many times that I have come to do the Father's work. I come in His name to accomplish what He has given me to accomplish. And now the Spirit will come in my name to minister to you. So there you have the promise of the Spirit in verses 25 and 26. But now more importantly, you have here in verse 27, the peace of Christ, where Jesus here promises to give them peace. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now you see that word peace there, and we think, you know, when we think of peace, what do you think of peace? Well, you think of absence of conflict, right? So, you know, in your marriage, if you haven't argued with your spouse for a week, you could say, we have peace in the home. Or with your children, if your children haven't disobeyed for a month, and you say, well, we have peace at home. That's kind of like the world's way of defining peace is, is the, well, there's no conflict, so therefore there must be peace. But it's interesting that here, the Greek word for peace is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to translate the word shalom. The word shalom, that Hebrew word shalom, and it's typically translated peace, but it's a word, like many words in, in, in Hebrew, that has a, a wide range of meaning. That, that shalom means not just peace, it means wholeness. It means well-being. It means balance. It means completeness. In a, in a, in a sense, then, what shalom is, is a restoration of what was lost at the fall, when, 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 when mankind fell into sin, he lost shalom, he lost peace, he lost completeness. And again, you see that in the human history, right? You just look at human history. Has there been a moment of peace or shalom in the world since the fall? No, there has not been a moment's worth of peace. There's always some kind of conflict somewhere in the world. We have lost Shalom and what Jesus here promises to, to, to leave with them and to give to them is not worldly peace. It is shalom. It is peace that you can find only with God. The world offers peace that is conflict-free or, or another way you get peace is peace through subjugation, right? As long as, you know, if I can conquer you and you can no longer resist, then we have peace, right? 
That's worldly peace. The peace that Jesus gives is not based on our circumstances either. Right? That's another way we kind of define peace or happiness or joy is whether or not things are going well in our lives. Well, you can have peace even though the world is falling around you if you have peace that is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. True peace comes from the Father through Jesus. Peek ahead, if you will, to chapter 16, verse 33. Again, this is... I may have mentioned this before, and I may have used this verse before. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This is at the end of the Upper Room Discourse. And Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Church of Jesus Christ, in the world do we have tribulation? You bet we have tribulation. If we're not facing it right now, we will eventually. And, and let's not think that we're talking about the church of Emmanuel Reformed Church here in Sutton, Nebraska. We're talking about the church across the world. Is the church facing tribulation? You bet it is. You bet it is. As people who, who hate the gospel, who hate uh, the church, the people of God, uh, strike out against the church, we have tribulation. And if you... In your courage, if you live out your faith out loud, you will face persecution in this world. So Jesus is not hiding. He's not hiding the ball here. He's not trying to pull the wool over their eyes. He's like, look, in the world you're going to have tribulation, but guess what? Be of good cheer. That seems weird. Be of good cheer. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has overcome the world. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan through his uh, crucifixion on the cross. And he has overcome the world. And when he returns, you're going to see that in real time as he overcomes the world. And there will be real peace in the world as the Prince of Peace brings peace. Philippians 4, verse 7, you don't need to turn there, but there Paul talks about a peace that passes understanding. And it's not that it's a peace that is indescribable, it's a peace that we cannot fathom because it's a peace that in and of ourselves we cannot attain in this world. It's a peace that only comes through the Father or from the Father through Jesus Christ. And the reason that true peace only comes from the Father through Jesus Christ is because What's our greatest problem in this world? It's not a lack of peace. That's a, that's, a, that's a symptom. That's a result of what the greatest problem is. Again, why did Cain murder his brother Abel in the garden? Because of sin. Because of sin. Sin is our biggest problem. And there is no peace until our sin problem is dealt with. That's why Paul, in Romans 5, can open that chapter with these words where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have shalom. We have wholeness. We have completeness. We have well-being. Why? Because through Jesus Christ, our sin problem has been conquered. And then through the peace of Jesus, we can be assured our hearts need not be troubled. That's why Jesus can say there, let not your hearts be troubled. 
Now, what this requires of us, though, is to have an eternal perspective, right? Because, again, if you, if you are basing your peace and your sense of well-being on what you see in the world, you're going to lose heart. You will be troubled. You will lose heart. Why? Because you're not going to see peace in this world. You need to have an eternal viewpoint. It is through the peace that Jesus offers that we could be assured in our hearts cannot be troubled. And again, I've mentioned this before, but it is Jesus who is the Prince of Peace who will bring peace to our world. That passage where you see that Prince of Peace in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, brings a peace that encompasses everything and will have no end. Upon, his, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The Prince of Peace will bring peace to our world. And peace, if you will, is not something that comes, as I said, out of this world. It is not a product of this world age. You will never see true and lasting peace in this world age, but you will see it. It is a characteristic of the messianic kingdom. It is a characteristic of Christ and his kingdom. Ezekiel 37, verse 26, there the prophet says, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. There, that is a promise of the new covenant, an everlasting covenant of peace. And because of that, then God will be our God, and we will be his people. Peace is characteristic of the messianic kingdom. So that is the peace of Christ. And now finally, let us look at the victory of Christ in verses 28 to 31. So we look there. We get verses 28 and 29. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. So here Jesus tells his disciples that he's going away, but that he will return. Right? We talked about this before. Jesus does return. Uh, after the resurrection and his post-resurrection appearances, but he also returns in a sense when the helper comes in Pentecost, when the spirit comes in us. And of course, he will finally uh, return in fullness at the end of the age. But here, Jesus says, look, you heard me say, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you will rejoice because I'm going to the Father. This should be a source of joy, not sorrow. See, when Jesus says, I'm going away, the disciples are thinking, that's sad, right? We don't want Jesus to go. He is our teacher. He is our leader. He is our master. If he leaves, what's going to happen to us? And Jesus is saying, look, I need to leave, and you should be glad for several reasons. 
First of all, if you remember, go back to chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, where he begins this entire discourse. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Again, do not be troubled by this. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. They should be happy that Jesus is leaving. Why? Because Jesus is going to prepare their place in the Father's house. And he promises, look, I'm going, but I will come back and bring you back to myself. Jesus, in going away, is returning to his rightful place at the Father's right hand in glory. He is returning to the glory that he had before the worlds began. You'll see that in in the high priestly prayer in chapter 17. Jesus going away means that the Holy Spirit will be sent. He says, look, I have to go in order to send the Helper. If I don't go, the Helper won't come. But more importantly, if Jesus does not leave, then Jesus does not go to the cross, right? And if Jesus does not go to the cross, what happens? (laughs) We are still stuck in our sins, right? That's the point. Jesus has to leave to do the work the Father sent him to do. And if Jesus does not do the, if Jesus says, okay, look, you're right, you talk me into it, I, I won't leave, I'll stay with you guys, and, and we'll just continue ministry throughout the regions of Jerusalem and Judea and so on, guess what? They would still be stuck in their sins. Jesus has to leave. He has to go to the cross because it is in his leaving that sin will be conquered, that Satan will be conquered, and that our peace with God will be secured. Now, there's a, kind of a phrase here that is, seems somewhat problematic to some, where Jesus there says at the end of verse 29, uh, sorry, verse 28, for my Father is greater than I. Uh, some have taken that to believe that somehow Jesus is lesser than the Father, um, that uh, we need to understand this as in the incarnation, Jesus submits to the Father's will. Right? You see this in Philippians. He left the glories of heaven. He took on the form of a servant. He did this, and he became submissive to the Father's will. Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, is equal in every way to the Father. Let us not confuse that. He is equal in every way to the Father, but in his incarnation, he submits to the Father's will. In his incarnation, the Father, in a sense, is greater than him, and he comes to do the work of the Father. But then finally, he says his departure will strengthen their faith. Verse 29, I have told you this before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. His going away will strengthen their faith because of everything that will follow after it. Because after it happens, they're going to see and they're going to look back now with eyes of faith. They're going to say, now I know what he was talking about. Now I know what he meant when he said all of these things. It's going to strengthen their faith. He says this again. He said this earlier in chapter 13, verse 19. I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Or in chapter 16, verse 4. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Everything that Jesus is doing here is serving to strengthen the faith of his disciples. So now you see here as well, 
the victory of Christ in verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He has overcome the world, and he gives us the assurance of his victory in him. Jesus must leave because he has a divine appointment at the cross. We said this just a moment ago. He has a divine appointment with the cross and on the cross with the ruler of the world. If you remember back in chapter 12, when we looked at chapter 12 in verses 27 to 31 there, uh, Jesus predicts his death on the cross. And he says there, now my soul is troubled. So he is troubled in his, in his humanity because he knows what lies before him. My soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He's like, look, should I then avoid the cross because I'm troubled? He says, no, this is the purpose for which I came. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus says in verse 30, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Jesus has the victory. Satan cannot overcome Jesus. Satan has no hold on Jesus because when Jesus goes to the cross, he is going to achieve his ultimate victory over sin, death, and Satan. Satan will be cast out. All this time, Satan has been working to sort of subvert Jesus. Think of the temptations in the garden or in the, in the wilderness that you see in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the temptations. What is Jesus, or what is Satan trying to accomplish there? He is trying to get Jesus to take the crown without going through the cross. He is trying to subvert Jesus from his mission. But Christ's victory on the cross will accomplish four things. First, it'll 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 cancel our sin debt. When he dies on the cross, our debt is Colossians. Paul says in Colossians 2, our sins have been nailed to the cross along with him. So when he dies, he cancels our sin debt. Secondly, when, he, when he, uh, his victory on the cross, what he accomplishes is, again, defeating sin and Satan. Third, we see here the casting out of Satan, as you see in John 12. And also in you see the fourth thing that Jesus accomplishes on the cross is the finishing or the accomplishing of the Father's work, which is why in John 19 he can say, it is finished. It is finished. Satan has no power over Jesus because Jesus gave himself willingly to defeat sin and to defeat Satan and to defeat death. If you look at chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, this is another ministry of the Spirit. And when he, the other helper, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan is the one who, who has free reign, if you will, under God's sovereign care and, and, and control. He has free reign over this world. He is the ruler, the power, the prince of the power of the air, as Paul will say in Ephesians 2. But he will be judged. He will be judged uh, by the death of Christ on the cross. 
I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, likewise Jesus, shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. Through his death, he destroys the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus must depart because that is his victory. He goes to the cross and he defeats Satan, death, and sin. And this brings peace even in the midst of our trials and tribulations. Look at verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do arise. Let us go from here. Jesus came to do the work that the Father sent him to do, and he finished it. Jesus doing what the Father has commanded him to do secures our peace. Jesus doing what the Father commanded him to do gives us assurance and hope in a world full of trouble. And Jesus' obedience to the Father means that he is victorious, and his victorious, his victory secures our salvation. We all want peace. We all want peace in this world. We want national peace, world peace. That's, isn't that the line that they say, right? Every, do they even do Miss America anymore? But, you know, they ask him, it's like, what would you like in the world? It's like, well, I would like world peace. Yeah. They always say world peace, right? We always talk about that. It's always on our lips. World peace, national peace, familial peace. But we won't know true peace until we make peace with God through Jesus Christ, his son. And as we face the troubles of this world, beloved, we can find peace in Christ. He is that sure and steady anchor that we sung about earlier. In the storms of life, if you hold on to that anchor, he will, he will never disappoint you. He has promised to send his Holy Spirit to guide and comfort us. And his peace surpasses all understanding. It is not based on our circumstances. But it's, again, it's a peace that you only know through Christ and by faith alone. If you are not a believer, you do not have this peace. And you will forever be searching for peace and never finding it. We can trust in the victory of Christ, even in the midst of, of trials, and find true peace in Him. So let us hold fast to our faith in Christ and find rest in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for peace in this world, and we know that peace only comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that if there are any here who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord, or any hearing the sound of my voice, I pray, O oh Lord, that you will convict them in their hearts by the, by the Spirit and bring faith and repentance to them so that they can know this peace as well. Because having been justified by faith, we have peace with, our Lord, with, with God, with our Father. And that peace is a peace that passes understanding. So Lord, let our hearts not be troubled by what goes on in this world. Let our hearts not be fooled by false types of peace. But let us, Lord, understand that the peace that we have from Christ is a peace that will weather any storm. It's a peace, Lord, that will ensure our own victory that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.